Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you this morning. If you don't know me, if we've not met before, my name's Chris. I'm the Senior Minister here at ABC. And if you're joining us on site in the room here, loads of you today, it's great to have you with us. If you're joining us online as well, it's great to have you with us. And I can see you chatting away in the live chat here. So it's great to have you with us as well. Uh, I've been a church leader for quite a long time now. I know you wouldn't believe it to look at me, but I've been doing it for quite a long time. And I've been the senior minister of two churches now, one here and uh, another church prior to coming here. I was at that church for some time before I took over as the senior minister. And uh, it was a number of years ago now, and I'd actually just taken over there as the senior leader. And uh, something happened which would kind of give me an introduction to what church leadership, senior church church leadership was going to be all about because I'd just taken over in this church that I'd been serving at for quite a while, just taken over as a senior minister. And within a month of taking over, somebody asked to come and see me. So I've said, of course. So they came to see me and I didn't know them very well because they weren't a regular part of our church community, but their wife was. So it was a husband and wife. Wife came regularly, the husband didn't. And the husband uh, came to see me and he said, Chris, I really want to come to your church. And I said, well, that's fantastic. You'd be welcome any time. And he said, ah, yes. He said, but there's a thing. There's a reason why I haven't been coming up to now. And I said, oh, gosh. And he said, it's because of the stance your church does or doesn't take, more importantly, over the um, state of the Palestinians in the Middle East. You're not being supportive enough uh, as a church for the Palestinian cause. And to be honest, I was a little bit taken aback because nobody ever said that to me before. So uh, I was kind of like, oh, okay, well, I, I don't really know what we are or aren't doing about that, but uh, okay. I promise you this is true. Within a week, a family that I did know well from the church asked to see me. And I went round to see them and they said, Chris, we're leaving the church. I said, no way. They've been in the church ages. Had no idea there was a problem. They said, we're leaving the church because this church isn't supportive enough about the needs of Israel in the Middle East. And I thought, therein lies the rub, right? We've got two people on different ends of a, what is a undoubtedly incredibly complex and difficult global situation that has some Christian thinking wrapped up in it. And here lies the rub. Two sets of people both of whom are either not coming or leaving the church because the church hasn't taken a stand in agreement with them over that particular issue. And that actually was a rude awakening to the realities of church leadership. Because over the years, people have left the churches that I've been leading. And I promise you, it's not just my church they leave, okay? They've left the churches that I've been involved in leading, as they do in every other church too, over one issue or another. Welcome to church leadership. It always makes me a bit sad when that kind of thing happens. Because I kind of wonder this, shouldn't it be possible for us to hold some different views and different opinions and remain together in community? And of course, what's true in the church is true in society as a whole as well. We see these divisions taking place in society where people refuse to engage with one another because they hold different views about something, usually something very complicated. And it also seems to me that in many Western societies around the world these days, moderation is being squeezed out. The middle ground is being squeezed out because it doesn't make the news. It's not great clickbait. 
So what happens in the news is we get more and more extreme positions being represented that encourage people to donate to a particular cause or another, and we're pushed into more and more extreme reactions. And I think that's really worrying. And this is evidenced, I think, by the names we call each other when we disagree. We call each other phobic, or stupid, or ignorant, or even worse, fascist, or communist. We call these, one another these kinds of names in our society, in our culture, when we disagree. Surely, 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 there must be a better way. And I'm totally convinced we have to find a better way because the consequences of continuing down this road that we are on, I think, is catastrophic. We must find a way to disagree over politics or complex ethical issues or moral dilemmas or whatever it might be without dividing, however strongly we feel. Can we do that? You see, disagreement is unavoidable. You only have to be in a relationship for somebody for some period of time to know that you will disagree. I have disagreements with some of my best friends over politics or ethics or moral issues or whatever it might be. Disagreement is unavoidable. But division is a choice. Division is a choice. Dividing over an issue is a choice we make. So what is the secret to disagreeing well? What's the secret to being able to hold different views or different opinions without dividing? How do we stay in good and healthy relationship with people with whom we have profound disagreements or who make different choices to the ones we would make? Well, I'm convinced that there is a key to unlocking that secret. And we're going to discover it today as we discover three principles for disagreeing without dividing. And I am in this going to major on our church community today when I'm talking about this. But I want to encourage you, if you're not a church person, this is your first time here. If somebody's dragged you here today with the promise of a free lunch afterwards, if perhaps you're just exploring faith, or maybe you're online and you've stumbled across this, or this is your first time with us, or you'd say, look, I've been with you a while, but I'm still not sure what I believe about this God stuff. I want to promise you that some of this is still relevant to you today. Even if you're just checking church out, I am going to be talking a lot about divisions in churches. But whatever you think about God, I want you to stick with this today, because I think there are some key lessons here for all of us. And often, actually, one of the things people who don't normally go to church, they often ask me, is why are there so many different types of church? What's it with all these different denominations and all these different types of churches? What's the difference, and why don't they just all work together? Well, that may have been because one of the things that we as church have not been very good at in the past is disagreeing without division. One of the reasons why it may be because over the years, some Christians have created division when they disagree. And here at ABC, at least, we want to do better. We want to try to do better. And we want to try to use these principles we're going to talk about this morning to ensure we may disagree sometimes, but that we don't divide. And I think you'll find them helpful, not just in a church setting, but in any setting. And again, whether you're a Christian or not. Now, to find these principles, we need to go to a church that was in danger of dividing. 
where there was some profound disagreement going on that was in danger of splitting them apart. And we need to find the wisdom of one of the first followers of Jesus who had lots of experience with division and disagreement. So pick, put yourselves back in this scenario. The year is about AD 60. The place is Philippi in ancient Greece, a city that was named after the springs of water that were all over the place in that city. Philippi literally means fountains or springs. The city was the site of the very first church in Europe. And it was started around AD 50 when one of Jesus' followers, a guy called Paul, traveled there and met a woman called Lydia. And Lydia became the first Christian convert in Europe and the first church leader in Europe because she, having converted to Christianity, started gathering people in her home with Paul and leading that church. And it was a strong church. But about 10 years after it had started, it was under threat because two prominent members of the church and co-workers with Paul had fallen out. They'd had a disagreement and it looked like their dispute could potentially have split the church because different people agreed with different people in the dispute. So in a letter that he writes to the people in that church in Philippi, Paul attempts to address that and to encourage the people not to head into acrimonious division. Disagreement might be inevitable, but division doesn't have to be. And right before this section of the letter that we're going to engage with this morning, Paul has been encouraging them to stand firm in the face of persecution, which was another threat that they were under as a church. They've been working so hard to establish this church. They're facing this kind of persecution, and Paul is trying to encourage them to stand firm. They've been working so hard to help people discover the love of God, and Paul is saying, do not succumb to the destructive forces of persecution and of disunity. Rather, focus on what you have been called to do. And as they focus on their mission and they focus on their calling, that calling to build the church and spread the message of Jesus, it will draw them together. And Paul links the unity of the church with the mission of the church. And he does this by starting this section about unity with the word therefore. We're looking at Philippians chapter 2, so the second chapter of this letter that Paul was writing. In the first chapter, he's been saying, stand firm in the face of this persecution, stick to the mission that God has given you. And then he says, therefore, linking this section on unity with the section on mission and purpose, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit if any tenderness and compassion we'll find out what he says for them to do in just a second but I want to pause here Paul starts with the motivation for staying united he starts with the motivation for not dividing and their motivation has to do with their unity in Jesus in the mission of God Paul says, if you take anything from your relationship with God, if you take anything from his love for you, if you take anything from sharing together in the presence of God, then I want you to do something. Look what he says in verse 2. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul says, if you take anything 
from the love of God, from the presence of God, from what Jesus has done for you, if you're going to take anything from that, then take this challenge to be like-minded. Have the same kind of love and unity that God showed you in Jesus. Being like-minded or one of spirit is an interesting mix of phrases. Being like-minded and being one in spirit is an interesting turn of phrase. I don't think it means agreeing on everything. But it doesn't mean, mean agreeing on the main thing. Paul is saying, be like-minded in the bigger vision, in the bigger stuff, in the mission that God has called you to. Focus on what unites you, not on what divides you. Be like-minded in focusing on Jesus and the good news of Jesus. And this is the motivation for unity. See, we belong together to the family of the king. But unity in and of itself can't be the final aim. After all, unity is possible among thieves and murderers. So unity in and of itself can't be the final goal. And being like-minded is about way more than simple agreement. It's about being like-minded in a common goal and a common purpose. Namely, because Paul's told us, following Jesus and making his love known. One of the uh, people that I love who commentates on uh, the New Testament and, and writes books uh, helping us understand what some of this means is a, uh, a theologian and an academic by the name of N.T. Wright. And uh, he, in his commentary on this bit of the letter to the Philippians, says this. What matters is that Christians, like the actors all focusing single-mindedly on a play, should focus completely on the divine drama that has unfolded before their eyes in Jesus the King and is continuing now into its final act with themselves as the characters. I love that. I love that imagery. What matters is that people like you and I who are trying to follow Jesus, who have been drawn in to the mission of Jesus, that we should focus on the divine drama that has unfolded in the nature and the character of Jesus and what he has done. This is the first principle for how we choose not to divide, that we focus on the big picture, we focus on the mission that God has called us to and the things that Jesus has done for us. Then we find the second uh, uh, key the second principle for uh, not dividing, even though we might disagree. And we go on to read what Paul says next. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Wow, this is really challenging. This challenge that comes out to us from the very heart of the good news of Jesus. That these people in Philippi and ourselves too, when we're gathered in a church community, we are to perform the countercultural feat of looking at people with the assumption that everyone else and their needs are more important than ours. Now, that is truly countercultural, 
and truly difficult. But this is the second key principle for choosing unity, not division. And it has to do with valuing others. Valuing the relationship more than we value being right. To value the relationship more than we value being right. And remember this too, and I've spoken about this phrase before, engagement is not endorsement. Engagement is not endorsement. Engaging with people who disagree with you, who may live in a way that you kind of can't square up with, or who may make choices or behave in a way that you can't agree with, engaging with people is not the same as saying you agree with everything that somebody is doing. And Jesus did this all the time, by the way. And it got him into trouble sometimes. And people looked at him and said, why is he going on with them? Why is he spending time with them? But he didn't stop. He spent time with people who were doing all kinds of stuff that would not have been his heart for them, that he wouldn't necessarily have agreed with, that he wouldn't have felt was God's main purpose and plan for them. But he kept showing up. He kept loving them. And of course, we must never forget that he loves you and me. And we very often don't behave in the way that God would want us to behave. And we'd very often make choices that God would say, what are you doing? We do that. So how dare we judge others in the same way? All of this, though, these key principles of valuing the relationship, valuing others more than we value ourselves, all of this is really difficult unless you have your eyes fixed the whole time on the person who is at the center of all of this, the person who Paul talked about being the motivation for all of this. And Paul goes on to talk about that person in the next three verses. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Paul is saying, for the Jesus follower, there is a role model here. In Jesus, there is somebody who served first, who loved others first, who humbled himself, even to the point of the most undignified, painful death that there is. And here we find the third principle, choosing unity over division. And it's this, remember who we follow. If you're a Jesus follower, remember who you follow and what he has done. So three principles for how we can disagree without dividing straight out of the words of Paul to that church in Philippi that was in danger of dividing. Paul says, focus and unite around the purpose and the mission. Value the relationship more than you value being right. And by the way, I just want to say, if you're one of those people I talked about at the beginning, who maybe isn't a church person, doesn't usually go to church, is just a kind of exploring faith, saying, oh, I'm not really a Jesus follower, what's in all of this for me? I want to say these two principles are perfectly valid for you, even if you don't want to do the God thing. Focus on what you unite 
with another person around. Focus on what's important in your family. If it's disagreement in your family, focus on your relationships, on your partner, on your kids, all the things that you have that you share together. Focus on those things. If it's a disagreement at work, focus on the big picture of what it is you're trying to do together in that environment that you're working in. Focus on the big picture. And number two, value the relationship more than being right. You can do those things, whether you're a Jesus follower or not. Third one's a bit harder for you, if I'm honest. Remembering who we follow. And this, I think, is where Christians have a challenge and an advantage. Because we have a role model who we believe is worth following, who shows us how to do this well, who reminds us of what's really important. Remember who we follow and what he gave for each and every one of us. And I just want to speak for a moment about what it means to unite as a church community around what is primary. What are the most important things when it comes to the mission and the purpose that God has given you so that we can think about that first principle, about what we unite around being way more important than what we might sometimes disagree over? What is primary? How do we follow the example of the one who showed graphically on the cross what love for people looks like? It's interesting to me, I referenced at the beginning of my talk today, some people who have who'd left the church over a particular thing. And over the years, this happens sometimes. People come and say, I'm leaving the church because of this or that or the other. Interesting to me, in all my years of church leadership and all the people who have left the churches that I've led and all the people I know who have left other churches that other people lead, no one has ever said to me or said to them, I'm leaving because this church is not doing enough for the poor and the marginalized. Nobody's ever said that to me. And nobody's ever said to me, I'm leaving because this church is not doing enough to reach out to those who don't yet know Jesus and don't yet know the love of God. Nobody's ever said that to me. The reasons people have given me for leaving churches are to do with all kinds of things. But I wonder if they are really primary. Because you see, these things are primary. Helping people who don't know Jesus to find and discover the love of God is primary. Reaching out with the love of God to the lost and the lonely and the poor and the marginalized, this is primary. Let us be like-minded in our pursuit of what is primary. And let us agree that we can disagree sometimes over what's secondary. And here too is what is primary. Here's what's primary for us as a church community. And it goes like this. God created human beings. He loves us all, every one of us. There is no favoritism in God. But human beings mess up. We all do. We all sin. And sin would separate us from a holy and sinless God. But he so longs for a relationship with us that he launched a plan to rescue us. And at the center of the plan is his son, Jesus Christ, who took on our sin and it was nailed with him to a cross. But he rose again from the dead to show that sin and death is not the end. He is with his father in heaven. He will come again and he has opened the door to a life beyond this one. And he, the one who rose from the dead, calls us to follow him and to share that amazing good news with others. 
And he equips us to do it by sending us his presence, his spirit, and by calling us together in the family that is his church. These things are primary. These are the things we hold to be central. And we are for God, and we are for people, and we will go to the wall for those things. And the other stuff, the other stuff that I'm not saying is unimportant, but the other stuff that we might disagree over or hold different views about will be secondary. And we can disagree, but we will not divide over those things. We can be together and we can be like-minded, even if we take a different view on those things. And we will focus on the mission and purpose that God has for us, because that unites us. And yes, the other stuff is often complex and messy, and disagreeing isn't easy, but it is better. It's better than division. It's better than name-calling. And it's a better witness to an increasingly divided world. And our world needs that witness more than ever before. We may not be able to change our society and our culture, but we can show what it looks like not to divide even when we disagree. We can model something. And who knows? With God's help, that might just change things. But it starts with us, with our church family and our church community. Let's pray. Lord God, first of all, forgive us, we pray, for where we have chosen the root of division when we've disagreed. And we have all done that. Forgive us for where we have looked at somebody who holds a different view and a different opinion to us and we've called them names or we've assumed it must be because they're stupid. Lord God, unite us, I pray, around these common purposes, around this grand vision and mission that you have given to us to reach out into a world that desperately needs to know the love of Jesus and to show it. Help us to model what it looks like to disagree well sometimes. Lord God, lead us and guide us. And above all things, help us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the one who models for us what it really looks like, what it really looks like to have sacrifice and value and love for others at the heart of who we are what it looks like to have you central in our lives, what it looks like to give everything for the sake of a world that desperately needs, us, needs it. And in these next moments, whilst we pray together and we sing together, draw us once again to that beautiful and fabulous reality of what is truly primary and what it is that Jesus has done for us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.